It's not really our last. We're going to do one more teaching before we, we end. But this is our last rhythm. So we started with partnership. I, I was telling you last time, I generally start with beholding, trust, servanthood, and then go to partnership. But I worked backwards this time because I wanted to show how they were all interrelated. So when you practice one, you find out why you need the previous one. Does that make sense? Um, and so partnership, just to recap, partnership is living, uh, living our lives on God's agenda in His presence with His resources. Okay? It's living our lives on God's agenda in His presence with His resources. It's also what it means to live in the name of Jesus. So Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That does not mean to say, mean to do whatever you do and say in the name of Jesus every time you do it. Um, you know, often people make a big deal if they're if some Christians have been asked to pray publicly and they're not allowed to say in the name of Jesus at the end. Um, and I get that, uh, but, but the deal is you can pray in the name of Jesus without saying it, and you can say it without actually doing it. Um, and nobody can take away from you the, the reality of doing things on His behalf in His presence with His resources. So just to re... re uh, cap that a little bit, it's, you know, whatever I do, I recognize that God's doing it with me. So there's this synergy between me and God that when I speak, God speaks along with me. When I act, when I do something, that God does it with me. And I'm never by myself uh, when I'm whatever. At my job, I'm never by myself. When I'm, I discipline my kids, I'm not by myself. Get an amen there. Um, <laughs> Uh, and the cool thing about that is I don't have to have all the answers. And that's where the pressing comes from. The pressing that we find in life it comes from us feeling like it's up to us. So when we recognize that God's with us, then we can relax uh, knowing that it's not up to us. What that primarily means is that the outcome is not up to us. We do our part, but ultimately it's God who produces the outcome. That's what we trust in. Alright. So the way we live in partnership with God is through servanthood. Because God is a servant God. God lives for the sake of others. What we see in the Trinity is this beautiful uh, relationship in which each one pours into the other. They always defer to the other. Um, so you see the Father who says, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to Him. Right? That's the Father, the way the Father is towards the Son. And Jesus returns it back and He says to somebody, there's nobody good except the Father. And then they bring the Holy Spirit in. Jesus, you know, His disciples are upset one time because uh, He's going away. And He says, no, it's good that I'm going away because when I leave, the Spirit's going to come. That's who you really need. And then when the Spirit comes, what does He do? He testifies of Jesus. Right? So what you see in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is this, is this relationship in which they serve each other. And so Jesus kind of refers to it in John 17 when He's praying to His Father. He says, Glorify Me with the glory I had with you before the world existed. Before the foundations of the world. So Father, Son, and Spirit had this beautiful relationship long before they created us. And sometimes it's hard for us to imagine that because, you know, we think 
that how could they have a relationship without there being a created world? Kind of like your kids probably think that your life didn't start till they were born, right? That you didn't have any life before they got here. Um, so, but but the Father, Son, and Spirit had this glorious existence. They didn't create us out of a need. They created us because, uh, as Noel said at one time when we were talking, he said, I believe that they looked around at each other and said, you know what, this is too good not to share. And so they created us in their image so that we could live the life they live. That's the meaning of Jesus when he says, if you try to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose it, you'll find it. Because the beautiful life that's in the Trinity is this life of self-giving for others. And when you're trying to hold on to your life, you can't live that Trinitarian life that we were made for. But when we live as servants, and what I mean by servanthood, it's really agape love, but you know we have to define it in terms of servanthood because we misunderstand love so much. But it, when we live as servants, we're just there for the other person. So Jesus said that when he came. He said, I'm among you as one who serves. The Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. We think of greatness as the person that gets to be served, right? As you move up in ranks at work, you get the better parking space. You get you know, the perks that go with it. Jesus, as the greatest human being ever to wear flesh and blood, came as one who served and to give his life for us. He didn't see any loss in that. In fact, the Bible says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Well, what was the joy? The joy was gathering us into that Trinitarian life and helping us to live the way he did. He didn't die so that you wouldn't have to die. He died so that you could get on the cross with him, actually. He says that, right? If you're going to be my disciple, take up your cross and follow me. Paul reiterates it when he says, I'm crucified with Christ. Now, some people preach the gospel and say Jesus died so that you wouldn't have to, but that's not biblical. The truth is Jesus died as a servant so that you could join him in this life of servanthood. The resurrection is God's vindication of Jesus choosing to live as a servant. And it says to all of us, you are safe to give up your life for others. Now, it might not look like dying on a cross. probably won't. <clears throat> but there are lots of things that will look like day-to-day those little deaths day to day that we experience. Uh, when we choose to forgive, when we choose to let something go, when we choose to serve, when we choose to give somebody the upper hand or the upper place. Now see, that doesn't happen without trust because you have to be relying on a source bigger than the fulfillment of your desires if you're going to live as a servant. Because the one thing that will trip us up, is what we talked about last time, when it comes to living as a servant is our addiction to the fulfillment of our desires. That's that in a life without God, the hole is filled, the void of in our souls due to the lack of God's presence, we fill it with the most fantastic thing that we can come up with. And generally that is the fulfillment of desires in various kinds. It might be desires for control, for power. It might be desires that, that are, surround our reputation or our status, the way we look. It feels really good when people say good stuff about you, right? And it's not a bad thing. It's not what, not what I'm saying, but it's our addiction to those things. Or it might be more what we would call fleshly desires. Gratification of, of, of those desires. 
and and all sin comes from those places where uh, we have given over to our soul the fulfillment of our desires rather than the presence of God. And when we're in that place, we can't live as servants because it'll always circle back to us. That even when we serve, we expect something out of it. And we don't always think of that in those terms, but the minute somebody is not grateful for what we've done, we get angry. <laughs> Because it's, that circles back to us. It's not, I mean, gratitude's a good thing. We should teach our children gratitude. We should help other people find gratitude. But it shouldn't be about us. And that's where, it, it, so the Bible says that God is kind to the evil and to the ungrateful. The ungrateful person is the person that just could care less who he is or what he's done. But he still does good for him. He doesn't get anything out of it. He just does it. Sure, for the pure pleasure of doing it. So it's more blessed to give than to receive. But you only find that if you find a source that is greater than the fulfillment of your desires. And so last month we talked about disciplines of abstinence like solitude and silence and fasting and frugality and secrecy and things that we do to train us away from the, the addiction to our desires and so that we can find another source. So you fast from food to learn that God is better than food. You, you know, food gives us energy, but God can supply us with energy directly, right? Food brings pleasure. And I thoroughly enjoyed eating y'all's food tonight. Thank y'all. But often, there's so much of our joy and peace depends on the pleasure of eating. You know, we get in bad moods when we don't eat. And it's not just about our blood sugar dropping, because if, if we can eat something we don't like, we're still in a bad mood. <laughs> Right? Anybody that's been on a diet has experienced that. Ah, I have to eat this again. All right. So, it, it, once again, nothing wrong with any of those desires, but it's the addiction to the need to have them fulfilled where those, the fulfillment of those desires have taken the place of God in our soul. Okay, and so once we get there, or in order to get there, we've got to see the world rightly. So beholding is revisioning our lives in the context of God and His kingdom. It's seeing the world the way it really is. It's not a matter of trying to envision certain things. But it's a matter of seeing the world as it actually is. One of the illustrations I like to give, and I may have talked to you guys about this, I probably have, but you remember the little 3D pictures, right? Where you look at them, it's one picture, and if you look at it and get your eyes just right, there's a whole other world in there. If you didn't make that happen, it was there. You just had to learn to see it. And then, you know, when you first do it, it's really, really hard. But you keep doing it, eventually you get to the place where you just walk right up to one and see it, because you've learned how to do it, right? That's very, very similar to seeking the kingdom. You know, John, uh, in John 3, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes and says, We know you're from God because nobody can do the works that you do without being from God. And Jesus says to him, He says, Unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of heaven. Now, we've always taken that, once again, to be a heaven when you die verse. It's not what Jesus was talking about. John, I mean, Nicodemus came claiming to see the kingdom. We know you're from God. And Jesus goes on to say, The wind blows where it wishes. You can't see it. Right? So when we look outside, we see the trees moving, 
we go, there's wind, but we don't see the wind, right? That's what he's saying to Nicodemus. You're only seeing the effects of the kingdom. You don't see the kingdom. Because unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom. But we who are born again, as we follow Jesus, we're opened up more and more and more to the presence of the kingdom. And just the same way, very similar, we can learn to adjust our eyes and see the picture that's within the picture. We can learn to see the presence of the kingdom in our everyday lives. And that's what beholding is about. Beholding is learning to see that because you can't trust what you don't see. Now, when I say see, I use that word lightly, okay? What I really mean is experience. Because we walk by faith and not by sight. But Paul says that um, outwardly we're wasting away, but inwardly we're being renewed day by day as we look not to the things that are seen, but we look to the things that are unseen. How do you look to the things that are unseen? Well, that's the secret of, of seeking the kingdom. I'm going to play this for you. It's the, uh, the prologue to a book, and afterwards uh, we'll finish up by talking about it a little bit. All right, this is about 10 minutes long, and it'll start out saying this is all of what give it the author. But Christian Audio presents God <coughs> Soaked Life Discovering a Kingdom Spirituality by Chris Webb, narrated by Derek Perkins. Prologue. Imagine the day after your death. You find yourself waking up to a new and glorious reality. This place, what shall we call it? Heaven? Eternity? Whatever its name, it is achingly beautiful. Formed by the artistry, imagination and creativity of God, how could it be otherwise? Its colors are startlingly vivid. Life seems to spring up in abundance everywhere. Even in its natural wildness, it seems to exhibit an orderliness, a feeling of structure and purpose, but expressed in profuse and infinitely changing variety. You feel you could explore the intricate wonder of this place for a thousand years, and still daily come across new marvels. As you walk through this landscape, you become aware of others around you. You realize that however beautiful your surroundings may have seemed at first, they pale in comparison to these creatures of glory. These people are breathtaking. The place through which you are walking may well be a work of God's art, but the people walking with you are somehow bearers of God's very life and breath. To look on one of them is to gaze into the face of God, and it is magnificent. Every one of them has a beauty that could bring you to tears, were you to look on it clearly enough and long enough. And then you stop, startled, as you realize that there are others who look at you and see exactly the same. Someone beautiful, someone glorious, someone magnificent in whom God dwells and delights. You take a few minutes to let that sink in. Imagine you slowly become aware that these others are not simply wandering around, they are engaging in all manner of activities. You notice artists of every kind, musicians in their orchestras, players in quartets and bands, and singers in choirs. There are sculptors, painters, glassblowers, weavers, embroiderers, and photographers. Dancers leap around one another and around you. Poets recite to one another, 
and writers trace limpid prose onto their pages. You see architects studying their blueprints with construction workers. Construction workers? Yes, there is artistry of every kind going on here. Creativity, endeavor, the shaping of the world in every way. Lumberjacks cut trees and prepare the wood for building. Masons shape stone. A blacksmith at the forge heats and bends metal into strange and wonderful forms. In the shell of a rising building, you notice plumbers, electricians, decorators at work. The varieties of work seem endless. You see chefs and cooks preparing meals, teachers instructing children, farmers plowing the fields, and baristas preparing steaming coffee. And alongside the workers, you notice others occupied very differently. Runners, swimmers, cyclists, youngsters playing ball games, someone reading, another simply lying in a field watching the clouds overhead. People just enjoying being alive in this beautiful place. As you watch all this activity, you gradually begin to realize that among all this runs a single golden thread. Love. This is how these people are able to show love for one another by creating beautiful art, by building homes and schools, by teaching, by cooking, by growing food, by delighting in one another's company and in the world around them. You begin to see, behind the endless variety of seemingly random activity, the unifying presence of the community of love. Perhaps a tiny nagging doubt pesters at the back of your mind why aren't these people gathered together in some gigantic temple, surrounding God and endlessly singing hymns and chanting psalms? Isn't that what heaven is supposed to be all about? Why isn't eternity more religious, less obviously secular? While you're wondering where you might find God in the midst of all this, you start noticing something else. God seems to be right here already, manifest all around you like the gentle breeze blowing through the trees. The Spirit of God is everywhere present and moving through all these lives and these activities. As you continue to explore, you become conscious also of this, that these people are constantly expressing their love toward God. Some of them are gathered together and singing hymns, but others are loving God by loving those around them, those in whom they know God's life so wonderfully dwells. Some are loving God by delighting in his creativity, and some by echoing that creativity in their own. But these people together are singing a great song of love in words and music and silence and action and stillness. A song that rings through all creation and says, in life, in love, in one another, and in you, God, we rejoice. But there is another song that runs around this hymn of the people, a song that weaves its harmonies through the skies and seems to tremble under the earth itself, the hymn of joy and delight that brought this place into being from the beginning and continues to sustain it. You still listen to yourself more closely. This song is astonishing in its utter beauty. It is ravishing. You feel as though your heart will burst open with every unfolding note. It unlocks a deep longing in the very center of your being, a longing to hear this song more deeply, more fully, 
to let it soak into your flesh and bones. From the moment you begin to hear it, you start framing your life around that deeper song, the song of ravishment and delight. Wherever it can most clearly be heard, you go. You notice that it seems clearer and purer when you are with certain people, so you spend more time with them. As you love them more deeply, you find the song rises in its joyful intensity even more, so you open your heart as much as you can and love them without reserve. Sometimes the song seems to respond to your singing, so you sing yourself hoarse. At other times it is fullest in your silence, so you learn to keep perfect stillness. You know this song. It is the song of God. In this place, people have discovered how to make their lives an offering of joy and delight to God. But God also sings over there. You are learning to experience His joy and delight in all that He has made. In the beauty of all that is, in people and in you. Yes, in you. You are discovering the delight of God in you, and in his song you have also discovered yourself, your value, your worth, your purpose, your significance, your identity. Finally, enraptured in love with God and entirely given in love to others, you have found you, and you have become free and happy and complete. Imagine this place. Now imagine one more thing. Imagine that this is not the day after your death. Instead, it is today. This is not your dream of heaven. It is God's dream of creation, a dream made real by his limitless power. You already live in this achingly beautiful dream. You dwell in eternity now. At this moment you are surrounded by people made in his glorious image, and they are magnificent. They are capable of the greatest love, and they can express that in a thousand different ways in the ordinary business of daily life, in their art, their work, their <coughs> neighborhoods, and their family life. They are worthy of your love. And all through the dream of creation, God is singing his song of ravishing delight for those with ears to hear. There are ways you can open your soul to that song. Places where it is more easily heard. Practices that attune the ear of your heart. People who will help you listen. And in that song, you can discover who you really are. Even become who you really are. Do you know where to find the dream of eternity? Take a good look out of the window. Hear the gospel whisper in your ear. The kingdom of God has come to you. Luke chapter 11 verse 20. Let's explore. 1. The invitation. Right. So how does that get you? I don't know if you want to be a plumber in heaven. That's where I was like, what? <laughs> I don't know about this now. Well, when you brought it back around, though, it makes sense. I thought, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but truly, I thought, well, I mean, maybe I really are people who was really like to do things like that. I don't know. I 
mean, sure. you just think about people who are like, no, 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 really, I love yeah. to wash dishes. And I was like, please come to my house every day. Yeah. I love to wash dishes. Are you a dishwasher lover? Well, I have become a, a, a house cleaning lover as a plate, and it shows that. Yeah. <laughs> and I appreciate it because I, I like to do that. Well, the gate came out of my house and made me a little drain from my. And he's, I was like, man, thank you so much. He's like, I just love to dig ditches. <laughs> yeah, yeah and, see, but, and see, God God put all those things in us. There are ways with which, so we don't think of them that way. We do, like when you're helping a friend dig a ditch, we might think of it. But all the things that we do at our job and all the different things, our vocations, whatever, whatever we are, your art that you're doing at Raving Squirrel Studios, is that right? <laughs> Yes, I know it well because there's a package. Every time I deliver, I've got to go up to their house and deliver a package from Raving Squirrel Studios every week. Um, but those are ways that we bring goodness to other people. They're ways that we serve. They're ways, honestly, they are ways that we partner with God for uh, every every good thing that you do goes out and it's, it's, it's implanted forever. Nothing is lost in Christ. So everything that somebody good has, we recognize it more in the negative. And if somebody says to us our whole lives that we're worthless, then that becomes a part of who we are, doesn't it? Um, it can be eternal in the negative as well. Um, but the good things that we deposit in people are ways that we partner with God to put good back into the world. Right? Jesus said that the good person out of the good stored up in him brings forth good. The more good I do for others, the more I, if they will receive it, I'm storing up good in them with which they'll bless somebody else. It multiplies. That's how we bring the kingdom. You know, when Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done, we do that by partnering with him as servants for the good of others. But the only way we're ever going to do that is we, if we see people the way that, you know, I love, the, my favorite part of that is how he describes us. And then he turns and he says, that's not you in heaven. That's you now. Colossians 3 says, you are dead and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You can't see it, but that's who you are. And he says, when Christ who uh, appears, then you will also appear with him glorious or in glory. But it's not like you get the glory then. Who you are is revealed then. Right now we live in a world where God's glory is hidden, even the glory in us, for God's purposes, because we said, essentially, we'd like to do this without you. He steps back. He doesn't abandon us, but he steps back, and we have to seek him if we want to see him. In this world, God is not obvious, but he's ever-present, and if we'll seek him, we'll find him. That's the way this works. We seek Him, really, we seek Him by following Jesus, by taking His words to be true and acting on That's what He says, whoever has my words and does them, he's like the wise man who built his house on the rock. Building your house on the rock is developing the faith, the trust in the kingdom that will carry you through whatever. And that trust comes by experience. He also said, if you abide in my words, you're truly my disciples. To abide in his words is to say, okay, so if Jesus said that Nicole was worth dying for, then I should live as if Nicole's worth dying for. Even if she's 
acting in a way that I don't appreciate, which she often does. Nicole's bad about that. No, but see, the person beside you at work that you, that you just, when you see them, you cringe. Right? Jesus died for that person. What, the, what he's saying is they are, I love the phrase he used, achingly beautiful. There's just so much of the world, of their own choices, of this stuff that is sat on them, that it's doing its best to hide that glory. You have to look really hard to see it. But it's there. And it's there in you too. Sometimes the hardest person to believe it about is ourselves. I mean, can you look in the mirror tomorrow and say, I am angry beautiful? <laughs> you are. <clears throat> Not just physically, although all of you are. <laughs> but there's there's something inside us that's, that fars outweigh any weighs anything physical. You know, if Paul says outwardly we're wasting away. We felt it on the basketball court today, didn't we? Uh, I was hurting when I got through. Um, you know, and, and in ten years it'll be worse, and in ten years after that, if I'm out there, it'll be worse. Um, so I took my DS case. <laughs> you're fine. Uh, and that's just a part of it. But we can learn to see that, right? We can learn to live as if all of that's true. That's the that's the taking the the 3D picture and, and learning to see it. But it's going to take effort. It's going to take seeking on our part. And it's not going to be easy. There's going to be times of darkness. There's going to be times of struggle. There's going to be times where you're just like, what's the point? But it's those times we persevere. So uh, the the writers of the Hebrews said it this way. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because those who would draw near to God must believe that He is and that He's a rewarder of those who seek Him. Some versions say those who diligently seek Him. But here's the point. The point is that when we really believe God rewards those who seek Him, if we really believe that, then we'll stay with it long enough to find it. Because there is going to be struggles. There is, Jesus said that. In this world, you're going to have troubles. But then he said, take heart. I've overcome the world. There's going to be times when it looks like nobody's on your side, that you're by yourself. And you persevere in those times. That's just already running and screaming in the gym. Yeah, I just look. Yes, okay. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Sorry for those of you on the video. We have children in the video. <sighs> Blood curling scream. And that itch is some boy. So, how do you do this? So, how do you see? How, how do you um, look, set your mind on things that are above, or look to the things which are unseen? Was that itch is some boy? Was it? <laughs> Sure. Yeah. Okay. Keep one. You guys can pass those things. So take one down. Pass it around. Okay. So, um, Gabe, when you're riding around, do you notice people's lawns? Yeah. 
What kind of stuff do you notice? Maybe that I wouldn't notice. What needs to be done? What needs to be done? To yeah, yeah, yeah. Things stand out to you that probably wouldn't stand out to me. Um, I used to, uh, y'all know, I, I mean, I still carry mail, uh, but I used to go in businesses a lot. They would have mail sitting on the counter and you'd grab it and take it out, right? Throw mail down and grab it and take it out. Still to this day, if I go into somebody's house, and they've got mail sitting on their their counter. I almost pick it up when there's mail sitting there with a stamp on it. Probably most of you don't even notice if you go into somebody's house and they've got mail sitting there. I notice it, and I have literally picked up mail a couple of times at people's houses uh, because that's so ingrained in me that I notice it. Right? Probably none of you guys would notice that. If you're an optometrist, you would notice people's glasses, that and other people wouldn't. Um, uh, some of your other professions. So tell me something like that. What's something you noticed that probably nobody else noticed? I heard went to the Texas Capitol and I'm there taking pictures of the door hardware. <laughs> <laughs> the door hardware. Yeah. Yeah. That's so awesome. Big and we would have never noticed yeah. it. It wouldn't have been stopped out. Same thing. That's so good. Do you find in the picture, Chris? Somebody else. Somebody else while Chris finds the picture. Somebody else. Something that you notice because of what you do that probably people, other people don't even see. I was a phlebotomist, which means I drew blood yep. Yep. while I was in nursing school. That was how I supported myself. Uh -huh. And I noticed veins on You noticed veins. When we were dating, I used to think it was a flirtatious thing, and she would be over here like. She was just sizing you up. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Boy, this girl likes me." And no, she was just checking to see if my veins were good. Yeah, I got some. All right, who else? Somebody else. You got the picture. Show us the picture. That's not your standard home depot stuff right there. Texas Cadillac. That's the handle sales. Oh, look at that. Five inches. That's huge. Wow. It's not what I do, but I have bad scoliosis. So if uh, I see somebody sitting in front of me or whatever, I will notice it. You will notice it. I've even said it to a couple times to like teenagers, you know, that are at that age where it develops. Mm -hmm. And you picked up on it where nobody else, other people probably would have. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I saw it. Yeah, the tour group moved on. And you're Let's take a picture of the lock. Listen, <laughs> but I had a steak picture at every door of the <laughs> But that is a perfect illustration. Yeah. Alright, one more. Somebody else tell me something that you noticed that probably nobody else would notice. Planter boxes and handy baskets. Planter yeah. boxes and handy baskets. That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay, so why do we why do I notice mail sitting on other than the fact that I'm strange? Why do I notice mail on somebody's counter? Why does Karen notice spine alignment? And why why does Kurt notice why do these things happen? Why do we do these things? Because you're aware of it. You're aware of it. Why are you aware of it? We know it the best. Yes. 
it's neurons and part of our brain. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's good. That's good. Your brain. That's exactly right. It's muscle memory. Selective perception. It is. Yeah, because there's so many. Your brain. There's always so much going on, but your brain has learned to lock in on certain things just through repetition. Right. It's the same thing. I know I told y'all the story. You're doing it right now. When I learned, to, remember when I put the, the, the ponytail in Mariah, and I practice over and over again, and then I'm at the Petner's game, and the girl stands up. It's a little creepy, I guess. And she's putting the ponytail in, and I was like, I don't know what she's doing. So I'd, I'd, seen that, I'd seen that a thousand times before, probably, but I had never noticed it. Generally, I'd have been like, sit down. I'm trying to see the game, right? But I, I was alerted to the ponytail being put in, because I'd never lived in the world of ponytails. Until Mariah, and so what well, is your world? Yes, um, but see, once through repetition, I began. I, I entered. I entered the kingdom of ponytails. See where I'm going with this. So entering the kingdom of heaven, or as Jesus also said, seeing the kingdom of heaven. You see how that works. That these aren't different realities. Okay. I mean, they're, they're, the kingdom's a different reality, but the, they work the same way. You can learn through experience to see the kingdom. When you, when you practice kingdom virtues like humility, you'll notice when somebody else does something in humility. And something will well up in you. Something will resonate with you. All right. So the question is, how can we live in such a way that we began to do this. Well, first of all, we start practicing the things that Jesus taught. Paul said, present your members as instruments of righteousness and that will lead to holiness. It's the same thing as if when you present yourself as a door guy. What do you do exactly? <laughs> I, I detail doors. You detail doors. Yeah. So, when, go hardware on. so when you present your body as a living sacrifice... For the door company, right? You do it in such a way that you begin to notice those things. So when we present our bodies as living sacrifice in the kingdom, when we present our bodies as members of righteousness, then we step into a new world and we we live it out in such a way that we start to see its movements. If the whole earth is full of God's glory and God wants us to see Him, then we learn to see them in the same way that we learn to notice these other things is through experience. So last week we talked about the disciplines of abstinence. The disciplines of engagement, they are ways that we can engage with the kingdom. Simple ways, small ways that we can take small steps into the kingdom that will pay off. Because as we practice these things, it's just like the doors or the pots, or the landscaping, or whatever, we begin to get experience with it in such a way that we begin to see it. That's how we learn to see the presence of God. I'm going to go through these real quick. We've got a few minutes. Celebration. Utter delight and joy in ourselves, our life, and our world as a result of our faith and confidence in God's greatness, beauty, and goodness. Another word for this would be thankfulness. The reason thankfulness is so crucial it's because when you're thankful, it doesn't just give you a positive outlook, but when you're thankful, who are you thankful to? Like when something good happens to you, you say you're thankful, who are you thanking? God. What thankfulness does is it trains us to recognize the goodness of God in our lives. 
we are very apt to see the one negative thing that happened during the day and miss the 30 positives. Because the one negative thing just screams for our attention. But if we look back over our day and we celebrate the goodness of God in our lives, then we lo- we're literally training ourselves to start to see good things. You know, one of the things we do here is we ask this question, where have you experienced God this week? The reason we do that is because if we keep talking about it, then we'll keep looking. <laughs> and when you're thankful, it has the same effect. When I'm thankful for the presence of God, when at the end of my day I look back and I say, what awesome things did God do? Then eventually, the more I do that, when awesome things happen, I'll go, ooh, I think that might have been Jesus. <laughs> right? And we learn to see His presence in, the, in, in our everyday lives through celebration, through thankfulness. Uh, confession, I'm going to go real quick through these. Confession is just opening yourself up. Uh, just letting everything about you be known uh, by a trusted, and that's the key, a trusted, spiritually mature person. You can't just dump your stuff on anybody. <laughs> you need somebody that you trust. And what confession does is honesty, it, this is the key, Jesus... It, it, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And you'll start to recognize transparency and truth in the world. And those are the movements of God's Spirit. He is the spirit of truth. And truth in any of its forms is from God. That's why Christians don't have to be afraid of science. Because truth is God's thing. And what we find scientifically to be true, it's God's thing. Right? Right? And so truth is a big part of learning to see the kingdom. Learning to live in truth. And confession actually trains us for doing that. Got to move quickly. Fellowship. This is huge for us. Sitting together and we talk about these things. And you might say something that sticks in my mind the next day. And I will see the kingdom because of something else you said. The more we're around people that are starting to see the kingdom, the better we will see the kingdom. Our eyes will actually be open to the glory of God. That's why the Bible says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Churches often use that to guilt people into coming to church. Um, But the truth is, we need each other. Desperately need each other. We can't do this on our own. I need you guys. You need me. We need each other. Right? Got to move quickly. Meditation is taking time to think about the things of God. And if you take, this is, this is very crucial, if you will put your mind on the things of God, then you'll begin to notice, once again, you'll notice when His stuff shows up. You'll notice, you'll literally begin to see, it will, it's like a focusing of your mind and your, your eyes on the things that God's doing. So you take uh, passages of Scripture in, you know, it says memorized here. You take Psalm 23, you memorize it, you'll start to see how the Good Shepherd really is in your life. And how His rod and staff comfort you. and Prepare the table before you in the presence of your enemies. But that needs to become a presence in your mind. It can't be something that you just kind of read over or gloss over and move on. But you need to think deeply about it. Thinking deeply about the things of God opens you up to God's presence in your life. Okay, uh, prayer. Uh, living interactively with God. Uh the, when we pray uh, and we watch, Colossians 4, 2, be, continue steadfastly in prayer, be watchful in it. When you consistently pray and you see God work and you don't count it as a coincidence, then your faith grows. 
You literally experience God that way. If you just pray and drop it, and God does something, you might not even notice it, right? But if you continue and you watch, then prayer will open you up to the presence of God. Uh, serving, study, submission, worship. I'm, I'm just speak on worship real quick because we're out of time. Worship is a matter of magnifying the goodness of God. And worship imprints upon us the reality of the goodness of God. You cannot make God too big. As big as you can imagine Him, He's bigger. And worship, as good as you can imagine Him, He's better. As present as you can imagine Him, He's even more present. All the amazingly good things that we, we express about God through worship, through ritual, through silence, through all the different ways that we have of worshiping, it imprints upon our souls, literally our bodies. And that's what we were talking about Pentecostals. This is one thing Pentecostals really get right is they worship with their bodies. And if you look throughout the Bible, people worship with their bodies. Why do they do that? Well, it's the same thing as uh, Kirk working on those doors with his body because that's how you engage with stuff, right? And when you worship bodily, whether it be singing, dancing, or you know, whatever else you may do to worship, laying out on the floor, um, in adoration of God, whatever you do, what that does is it, it literally moves your body in, in, in such a way that it's your experience in the goodness of God, that you are engaging with the goodness of God. And that experience, even if God doesn't do anything outstanding, that experience with consistency will imprint upon you the reality of God that you're worshiping. But here's the neat thing, God will show up. If you stay with it, God will show up. And sometimes in remarkable ways. Those will be few and far between probably, but He will show up in remarkable ways. And in all these things, God shows up. He honors our intention. These disciplines are ways that we can intentionally engage with God's kingdom in order to seek Him. And He said, if you seek Me, you'll find Me. Actually, some of the, sometimes the language kind of says, if you seek Me, I'll find you. He'll come busting through the kingdom. Through the gates of the kingdom. And that's how our song, what did our song say? Break down the gates of heaven. That's, that's what he does. He comes shining through. So we do it with consistency, with persistency. Is that the right way of saying that? Yeah. We stay with it. Uh, we do it regularly. We find ways to engage with God. You got a whole list of things, pick one and start doing it on a regular basis. And then after you get pretty regular with that, pick another one. And all of these things are magnificent ways to open our souls up. Ways of using our bodies to open our souls up to the presence of the kingdom in our lives. And there's our crazy kids. I'm not getting up. You're not getting up to stop. Definitely. Alright, so, but that did remind me of a really another illustration. You know, like when you've got a, when you've got a little kid, and you can be asleep, and the, the, the house can be falling down around you, and you're not hear anything. And then all of a sudden, there's a couple of little feet going, you're like, right? Because you're tuned in to what matters. And as we do these things, it tunes us into the kingdom, and we really will hear the footprints. What's so funny about Often gentle footprints. Kinsey screams like that a lot. I didn't even hear it when she jumped up. I was like, what's she jumping up about? Because that's, <laughs> that doesn't tell you anything's wrong. Yeah, because 
My ear, my ear knows that's not a danger screen. That's just a. That's just a screen because I want to scream. <laughs> I'm sure when things get really quiet, you get antsy, don't you? Yes, I yes. Got it. Yeah. All right. So, uh, any questions about that? I, I wanted to take a little more time on the disciplines, but I had to rush through them. If anybody's got any questions afterwards, I'll be glad to talk with you as long as as long as y'all want to talk. But are there any other questions? Does anybody want to throw anything out real quick before we pray? Are you just like, dude, we just want to go home. All right. So, anybody volunteer to pray for us? Close this out. Dear Father, thank you so much. Thank you for the assurance that when we seek you, we'll find you. And we are um, fumbling our way, bumbling our way into this. But all you want is our hearts and our intentions. And so we're going to do it. We're going to seek you. Please lead us in the direction that you want us to go. Help us to choose the discipline or the disciplines that most suit our situation, our needs. Give us courage to step out in faith. We pray that you will show up in real ways in our lives. Teach us to see your kingdom with complete assurance that you're with us. Help us to see others the way you see them. Help us to see ourselves the way you see us. Fill us with your love for our world and for ourselves, for our lives. Lord, we ask it in Christ's name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much. Thank you.